0: Okay, welcome to the second episode of Deconstructing the Magic Money Tree. Uh, we ended episode one on the question of value, economic value. David, let me begin by welcoming you to the program, and let's start with what is the definition of economic value? Ah, economic value is a tricky one. This is,
1: this is a thing that, very oddly, the Scotsman who, was, who claimed to have invented economics, but really probably didn't, uh, Adam Smith in uh, Wealth of Nations, he, he had a big problem with value. And really, he got it wrong. And this was very strange because he had it correct 20 years earlier in his lectures and seemed to move away from the correct answer towards, well, I don't know. And and the reason he didn't know is he was looking at the parad- what he called the paradox of value. The, the it's, it's usually termed the, the bread diamond or the water diamond paradox. You've got something which, like bread or water, which is essential for life, but has a very low price. And you have something, diamonds, which are like fripperies. And particularly if you're a Presbyterian sc- Scot from the 18th century, you, you have a very low opinion of this, but it's got a very high value. So how do, you couldn't see how, how this was resolved. And he made mistakes there. And the mistakes gave opportunities for other people to come and make bigger mistakes later on about value being to do with the amount of work that was in, intrinsic in something, which, which I don't think is correct either. And then people also confuse it with price which is a different thing altogether.
0: So value, what's value? Well, let me let me challenge you on that a little bit because you were talking about the value of a loaf of bread, for example, versus the value of a diamond. What you were describing, it seemed to me, was price. Yes, and obviously there's a, there's a relationship between the two, but, but they're not exactly the same thing. Well, in the case of bread and diamonds, they're in fact the exact opposite because if you take diamonds away from me, I'm not going to die. I might be a bit sad, but I'm not going to die. You take the bread away from me, I'm going to die. So the value of the bread, you know, it, it has the highest value. The value of the diamonds has the lowest value, but the prices are the opposite. Okay,
1: so let's see if I, that you've, you've you've correctly highlighted the issue. And this is what Adam Smith couldn't get his head around and has caused a lot of confusion since. Let me see if I can answer that clearly. And I'll be frank, this is the first time I've tried this and it's live on the air, so this is a, this is a challenge. Let me see if I can answer that, right? So point number one, value is the value an individual human being puts on something and is therefore subjective. So if you, let's say, were a model railway enthusiast, you might put a large value on collecting a particular double-O gauge model locomotive, and that might be worth a lot to you. To someone else who thinks that's a complete waste of time, they would have almost no value for that. So. It's, it's a subjective thing and it varies from person to person and it varies from time to time. This is why you get things which are, uh, if you go and buy a, a Coca-Cola, if you buy it in the supermarket, you'll pay one price. If you buy it in a sports stadium or a bar, you'll pay a completely different, much higher price. And the same people will be content to pay the lower price in one context and the higher price in another because the two aren't exactly the same, right? You're, you're not, you're not, the, the transactions are not satisfying exactly the same needs in the human being, so they'll be valued differently. You wouldn't pay in the supermarket what you would content what you would pay in a theatre, bar, or something like that for a for a, a Coca Cola. So it's it's subjective. is point number one. So value subjective. So value. Right, relates... right
0: but, I, but I'm going to challenge you again on that because it's not entirely subjective, is it? Because the person who values the the toy train or the person who values. The co- Coca-Cola in the sports stadium. Both those people value food in the same way. So not every item can be categorised in that way. Not every item is has a subjective value because there are certain items that are that are requirements of life, and so they are have an objective value. Let's come to that. What I would maintain
1: is one part of is value subjective. It's it's defined by the the individual viewer, the individual human being. The next item you have to get a hold of is you you're always dealing with marginal value you're not dealing with the value you would put on all food you're dealing with the 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 value you put on the marginal item of food or the marginal item of water or anything else that's essential for life so you take water for example right you will use a lot of water during the day some of it you will drink and that's essential for life because you don't last very long without water okay so your your value on that would be very very high what you'd be prepared to pay if your total net worth for that would be very very high but that's not what you're buying you're buying at the margin so some of the water is used for that very high value use but then then you some of the water is used for washing yourself which is much less essential and then some of it's used for washing your clothes which is less essential again and then some of it's used for cleaning the floor which is less essential again and you go right down to the bit where You're brushing your teeth and you, you could turn the tap off, but it's a couple of meters away and you just let it run while you finish brushing your teeth and so something's just going down the drain so what you're dealing with there is your marginal valuation of the last component right the last little bit of it that you that's not worth your time to walk across the bathroom and turn the tap off you're not dealing with all water you're not comparing how you would value all water against all diamonds you're valuing how you view at the margin one more bit of water one more unit of water against one more carat of diamond that that's the, that's the comparison. So when you're looking, you have a you have an, a a sequence of, of of needs, and as each one is satisfied, the value of the next need is by definition less, and you all decisions are made at the margin. So it's both subjective and it's subjective at the margin, and that's what governs an individual's view of value. Now price is a market phenomenon, so we'll come to that, but have i have i answered your question on value
0: well yes but there's an aspect of value that hasn't been considered here and i'm I'm interested in investigating this a bit further and that is value of some kind of action in the economy i mean for for example let's take a simple example let's say you are a car mechanic and two cars come in for you to work on each of those cars that work provides some kind of economic value let's say the first car belongs to a drug dealer and the second car belongs to somebody who is providing some kind of high value manufacturing process he he actually is has a key, is has a key role in it, producing some high value goods now from from an economic standpoint those two cars are worked on equally by the mechanic but clearly one one has a greater benefit to the economy than the other so how does that fit into to your model of value when we talked about it being ordinal right so
1: it's, do, you, do you have A complex situation because you've got subjective values subjective. Now it may be that the mechanic has a very high regard for one customer and a very low regard for the other. And that would that would probably change his list of priorities in a in a way that you would never find in any contract. Um but let's say that he doesn't care or know. Okay. Um you have um a situation where The downtime caused to one person because of that person's economic value is is much more significant than than to another. So suppose, suppose one car was from a little granny who only used it on a Sunday afternoon to go to church and that was it. And another was for someone who was running a major business and had a lot depending on him and was, was supporting a great deal of economic activity and having no transport would be a big problem. Okay, Now, presumably, the, 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 the price sorts that because he would actually be prepared to pay for a different service. Because it, not all car mechanic services are the same because these things are differa- differentiated in many ways. It's the same as a Coca-Cola in a supermarket. It's not the same as a Coca-Cola in a nightclub because you're satisfying different perceived needs and different restrictions on your actions. Getting your car fixed isn't, isn't just one, one service which is the same everywhere. There's getting your car fixed uh, where the guy drops everything and does it now you get in your car fixed where if there's a part needed someone is sent across town to pick up the part because you because time matters Others get getting your car fixed in a in a lower cost way that maybe takes a little bit longer you've got different services so you you will tend to find that the, the market will respond to this by having a different standard of service it's the same way for example airline seats are not all sold at the same price they're sold at different prices with different conditions different benefits and different conditions. And that's to that's to find different ways of getting, you know, tapping into a, a, you know, different marketplaces, different sets of human uh, desires, and, val- and and coping with different human value systems. Some people just want to get to A to B for the least money. Some people want to get in a certain degree of comfort. Some people want to have a backup that if the, if the plans change, they're, they're, they're not out of pocket. There's different levels of service to different people, everything's not just a simple commodity. So let, let's see. I, I hope I, I hope I've given an outline of how value is created. So you've got this. You've got an, an ordinal system of wants. You, it's entirely subjective. It can change with time. It can change with circumstances. And it's and it's always done at the margin. It's the marginal unit that you're trying that you're valuing. It's not all something. It's not you not you're not when you look at the price of, say, water, it's not all the water you have. You're looking at the the price that you're paying for the marginal unit of water, which is the, which has got a use which is not the most essential use. It's the least essential use that you use water. So the, the, this is the framework that allows people to make decisions. So if you then have people making free exchange and they'll hand over a sum of money in, respond, in, in return for some good or some service, they're accepting it at that, that at that moment... They value the good of the service more than the money, so they 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 feel that they're making their life better by that exchange, and the person on the other side of the exchange also feels that they they value the money more than the good, and they're making their life better by that by that exchange. So at that point, it's a it's a mutually uh, voluntary exchange. Now you then get onto well, well, what sets the price? Because if you if you're the model trade enthusiast and you really want the double O gauge locomotive you might be willing to pay up to 100 pounds, right? And, and the guy selling it might be willing to accept anything from 25 pounds. And at some point between the two, because below 25 pounds, he'd, he'd rather have the model train, he won't sell it. Above 100 pounds, you'd rather have the 100 pounds, you won't buy it. At some point between the two, a price is set. And this, this, is, this is the market process, and this is supply and demand. So, so this is usually shown in a graph, and this is audio, so we can't really do graphs very well. Right? But essentially, as, as, as price goes up, supply goes up, more people are willing to supply a good or service if the price is higher, and demand goes down. Few people want it. And at some point, you reach an equilibrium. Now, it's, it's usually shown as like a point, as though it's known. But of course, you never know. And a whole lot of the whole what entrepreneurs do is trying to figure out... Should we should we increase the price? Do we make more money if we increase the price? Do we do we make more money if we cut the price and we sell a lot more? Like what do we actually do? And and it's and it's not easily determined. So that's the whole point of of, a, of why people get into certain market sectors and they understand those market sectors very well, and that's where they operate because they've got the experience to know roughly what to do. But even then, it's difficult because things change. So. You, you have this um, interaction of all of the people su- who provide the supply and all of the people who, who who provide demand and they tend towards some equilibrium point so that the 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 price is always moving towards that equilibrium point. The equilibrium point will tend to move as people's as people's desires change, as technology changes, as the price of input inputs into into productions change. The the the, the equilibrium point's never static, but there's there's always a, a an attempt to discover where that is, and there's always a movement towards that point. So if you have um, if you have a situation where the the, the price goes up that will tend to promote more production from existing sources. It will tend to have um, people will look at that market and think, well, I, I, I can do that, I can make money at that, and they'll come into a market sector, and resources will be diverted from other things to that, and the supply will increase in response to an increasing price.
0: That's assuming that the market is operating freely without any kind of intervention or monopoly or government Well. Yes, ex- for example, exactly, yes. exactly. So now, so you then knowing
1: that much, and if you can get these are not tremendously difficult concepts, but they're not really discussed. If you can get value, price, and supply and demand, and get a clear view of that, you can then bring that to
0: certain problems. What happens if? And you then look at the right, well, well, you said, government there, and and you know this is perhaps. One area where you and I don't necessarily completely agree, but of course you're, you're talking about government, but I'll throw you a private sector example. Amazon, Am- Amazon, Amazon is in the process at the moment of becoming a monopoly in the sense that uh, it began with books uh, and it absolutely destroyed the diversity of the bookseller market so that it is more or less in a monopoly position in books. It's working towards electronics and even food at the moment. And of course, in the pro- while it is in the process of developing that monopoly, it appears to be highly competitive. It cut, it's cutting prices. It's It's, for, it's got a a big downward pressure on prices generally. But at some point, once it has destroyed enough of the competition, then that requirement to to for downward pressure on prices disappears and then it's free to do whatever it likes. And at that point, your supply and demand graph, which I guess everybody understands what that looks like, everybody has seen it. At that point, your supply and demand graph is wrong. Well,
1: okay, I, I, I disagree with that on a couple of levels, right? Um Let's for the moment assume you're right about Amazon. I, now, I, I don't. I think you're dead wrong about Amazon, but I'll, I'll come to that. If you're if you're right about Amazon, what what you're saying is Amazon will get to a point when the, the, you still have supply and demand, right? Because they've still got to buy in books. They're still they still increase. They can't they can't sell what, an infinite number of books, right? So they're,
0: they're, they're still they're oh, still oh, can, okay. Okay, no, hold on, hold on. Let me challenge you on that a little bit. Yes, they will start st- still buy in books, but but let's give another example, uh, Tesco and the UK supermarkets and the milk market, right? They still buy in milk, but they've effectively destroyed uh, milk farming in the UK. and Amazon will do the same at some point. So you know they will still buy in books, but they will because they because they will then be effectively the only retail market available, the, the publishers will have no option but sell through Amazon. And therefore, the publishers, just as the milk, the the milk industry in the UK is beholden to Tesco, uh, the same for publishers beholden to Amazon. So, what you'd be saying then? Okay, the, the, you're still dealing with the public. Okay, the
1: public still have to voluntarily buy books. So, if Amazon push up the price, they'll sell fewer books because at the at the margin, notice, you, you remember remember marginal marginal utility, and subjective value. Okay. They're they're selling to a public. Right, the public will make decisions at the margin. Do I buy that book? Do I not buy the book? If the book goes up from five pounds to fifteen pounds, people at the margin, some of those will decide, no, I'll I'll not buy that this month. I'll just leave that. So there's still this this the demand curve still slopes down. So as price goes up, quantity comes down. Okay, that's still the that's still the relationship. Okay, what you're saying is that rather than um, as uh, price goes up, supply goes up, you're saying that, that they're able to control the market such that that the supply is is basically a flat line
0: well what i'm saying is that they they will then be in a, a in a position to control the market therefore they can set their own price and okay okay i'll accept that that there will still be a supply and demand curve but that equilibrium point is is not is no longer difficult for them to work out because they're the only player in the market and that this this becomes and of course you know, you say that uh, as price goes up, demand falls, but in some cases with some item, people will pay the extra because they still want the entertainment or they still want the knowledge or they still want, they, they want to read the books. Now, there'll be other things might happen. You might see, for example, so-called intellectual property piracy going up uh, because people will will share books uh, and, and try to get around it that way. But but uh, my, my point here isn't isn't really to, to, to hammer Amazon as such. My point here simply is that it's not just it's not just governments that are potential problem here. Because as ta- as in this present economy, as time goes on, we're starting to see these Uber corporations appear that are uh, getting to such a size that in fact, in some cases, they're bigger than government. Well,
1: my my point is that. Un- Unless you have government, you don't have a problem. Okay. Now let's go back to Amazon. So what we're, what we're able to demonstrate already is that if Amazon cannot coerce the customers, they can't say you have to spend so much on books every month, then they, they can they can influence price, but only if they influence price upwards, only at the at the cost of of reducing volume. So they can. You could say, okay, well, okay, it's 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 still higher than it would be if there was competition. Yes, because the supply curve is different, the supply line's different, and and Amazon might well do better out of that, and that might be in their interest. But they're still not in a monopoly position, because a, they're they're having to deal with the buyer, right, and the buyer has a choice, and also the the there's always a chance of another entry into the market Now, this is this is always put forward there's going to be monopoly positions in marketplaces because someone will drive out all the competition by slashing prices and then once the competition's gone and driven out by these low prices that benefit the consumer they'll jack the prices up well if they jack the prices up the first thing that will happen is the competition will come back in with lower prices and in order to exclude them Suppose Amazon got to the point where all books came from Amazon. In order to keep that position, they would need to keep the prices low because the minute they jack them up, there'll be 20, you know, we are cheaper than Amazon.com companies come
0: in and outcompete them. So, so okay, so so no, let, no, just, let me just give just, you an just, example. No, no, let me, no hold on. Let me, let's, let me give you one example of why that doesn't work, okay? So, Apple, another Uber corporation. Apple is fighting a massive fight at the moment about right to repair. And uh, Apple is saying no one has the right to repair Apple products other than Apple. Apple is in such a monopoly position at the moment, they are able to tell the, the, the manufacturers of the uh, of the chips that are used on Apple boards that they are not allowed to sell them to anybody else other than Apple. And the same would apply to Amazon and so on. So my point is that, that once you get to a certain size, you actually end up with being in a position where it is practically impossible for anybody to come into the market in competition and you have absolute control over the prices. But but Apple are
1: not a monopoly supplier. Apple are, in fact, um, the, the, the smaller section of the market. Because of their approach, because of the restrictive approach, most people I'm I'm making this on a PC, right? Largely because of the way Apple do business. And and they have they have made it so that they, they have the marketplace, but they're trying to squeeze more and more and more out of that marketplace. And the harder they squeeze, the more people will say, I, I think I'll get a PC next time. And 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 they'll and they'll lose market share. Because there's always someone else, unless you can bar entry. And this is the key, right? This is the the, the Glasgow ice cream lesson. What does Glasgow ice, the Glasgow ice cream wars, teach you about economics? Right in the eighties, if you wanted to run an ice cream van in Glasgow, then there'd be a large man with a baseball bat who would come and he would bar your entry to the market. I, I don't. So you need you need coercion, and that coercion is either permitted by government or more commonly done by government. If you don't have coercion, there there will not be private sector monopolists, and even if you get them. They have to provide such a high level of service to a customer base that's free to go elsewhere, such a high level of service and such a low price in order to stop people entering into the marketplace and taking it away from them, then you might as well have competition because they're already responding to the threat of competition. It's not a problem in the free market. It is a problem if you start introducing coercion,
0: if you start saying to people, you don't get into that marketplace, so i'm gonna I'm gonna keep pushing on this a little bit. Now the reason that, so for for our view our our listeners, I just want to explain why uh, because because uh, th- this is a question of whether it's right or wrong to have governments involved in in economies. and I wasn't intending necessarily for this I mean this issue has to be dealt with in this series somewhere. Uh, wasn't necessarily going to be in this program, but it's. But since we've got to this point, let's just just push this a little bit further. Let's talk about Apple. You say they're not in a monopoly position, but actually, if we look at the market, which I believe is fundamentally broken, we've got Apple, which, as you say, is a smaller player. We've got Google and we've got Microsoft. That's three. Uh, Uber corporations. Now, Apple is, in terms of market capitalization, the biggest. Google's next, I think, and, and Microsoft third. But the fact of the matter is, you're suggesting that there is a, a, a consumer choice to be made there between Apple, Google, and Microsoft. And the truth is, that's no choice at all. Uh, and the truth is that you take those three corporations as a whole, they are barring any other player in the market together. Um, and while they you know, pretend to, to be in competition with each other, in in fact, that competition only extends as far as the you know anybody else getting into the market. They they will work together quite happily to prevent any real competition. The choice between Apple and Microsoft is it really a genuine choice? Not really. They're as bad as each other. Uh, Google is probably worse than both. Uh, but uh, you know, in terms of in terms of tel- telecommunications, the choice is between Apple and Google. In terms of desktop IT, it's between. Uh, apple and microsoft no one else can ever get a look in at this stage to that market if you go back 20 years the it market was much more diverse but there's there's still well there's still things which are diverse and also how are they controlling it they're controlling it via government restriction well you'll have to explain that one How are they they controlling it via government restrictions? What stops you taking the same
1: technology and doing something similar? What what was the... Apple were notorious for um, making a horizontal swipe with your thumb, um, something that other companies couldn't use. Mental, in my view, right? But, but they 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 got a patent
0: on that what's a patent system it's a system of government restrictions some people some people would argue that that it's a, a system of protecting intellectual property yes some people and the pro this is a very interesting thing that you bring up because of course for the for the first time entrepreneur somebody who's got a hundred thousand pounds in the bank and is, is trying to get started to uh, scaling that up to to, to millions of pounds. The patent system is something which is there to protect their intellectual property. And without a patent on whatever it is they're doing, they're unlikely to get external financing. On the other hand, once once you're of the scale of Apple and Google and Microsoft, then as you say, the patent system becomes a weapon. Patent system is full of
1: abuse. It's weaponized from the outset. It's used by people to essentially hold entirely innocent people to, to ransom and demand money from them. It's, it's so ridiculous now that we've got venture capitalists, and I, I quite like this, this is a free market solution to a government problem. <laughs> venture capitalists right, are, are identifying um, pharmaceutical companies who are making a killing by selling drugs at way above the market rate because of patent protection. Where the patents are really weak, and they're shorting their stock and taking out patent law um, cases against them to pull the patent, and if they succeed in pulling the patent, the shorts that they've bet on their stock pay off, and they get a they get a huge a huge lump of money. I think it's, it's actually it's actually quite poetic. Patents, I think, are an abuse of government power to prevent. Free exchange of information and people competing on the basis of we try harder, we go faster, we go further. You know, the, where they're, they're just they're, they're, they're able to restrict trade. Take me, you, you're in IT, I'm, I'm in I'm in construction. The, the, this wonderful stuff called Portland cement was invented, and basically we did nothing with it until the patent expired because the patent system killed any sort of progress. The French did a little bit first, and then once once the patent had gone and everyone could start actually using this freely we developed an entirely new technology based on
0: oh, okay but say I, say i was the inventor of that product without without the patent in place i have no prospect of benefiting from my invention because some corporation is that that already has scale and the cash is going to take that idea and run with it and I will get nothing. No, you're not getting nothing.
1: You invent it. you You can have you can have contract negotiations with different companies. You can have the some you have no, contract no, because, protection. Because you can still have copyright protection. But patents, patents, patents are anti-competitive. By definition, patents are anti-competitive. They, they literally stop they, they, they literally stop people trying to improve on things because you well, you're using a bit of a bit of the idea that I had and they claim everything under the sun. And then it all goes into the courts and the patent lawyers get richer. It's a horrendous system. And it's a, and it's a, and it's a government system. It's a, it's, a, it's a system of state monopoly grants. That's what it is. And that's where your monopolies come from. If you didn't have governments, you wouldn't have them. Well, on, on that silent, uh, I silent note, <laughs> I, I, I think, no, no. No, we've been going about half an hour. I, I think we, we, should, we should have a little talk about where we go
0: next. And um, before we close, where do you want to go next? Where do we want to go next? Well, that that went off in a direction I wasn't expecting. I, I wasn't expecting either. I didn't think we thought, I didn't think we'd be talking about patent law today. Um, we we
1: started down the line of what's value, right? And the reason we were doing that is to get into these questions about whether fair value. I think you were interested in whether fair value can exist. Because right? you talked about things like zero hours contract and things. And, and from my point of view, I'm, I'm interested in talking about the, the, the harmful effects
0: of monkeying with that system one of the things that, that i was wanting to get to with value wasn't even necessarily about value to the individual but actually value to an economy as a whole because is an economy there as an individual thing or is it doesn't exist as something which is there to support a society well, that's
1: an excellent question let's do that next time